0: Father, thank you for the privilege of us gathering today. We do thank you for the moms, for all the blood, sweat, and tears that they've poured into um, their children. So I pray that on this day especially, you would bless them, God. Thank you for their labor of love for their children. We thank you, God, that um, children are a blessing, that you've blessed um, this church with so many. And we pray for our teachers, instructing them today, and that they would be filled with your spirit to give them the words of truth. And we thank you that you are so good to us. We thank you for your word, Lord. May you speak to us through it, Lord. You will if we listen. So give us ears to hear today from your word, God. Make our hearts open to what you have to say. We pray this with the authority we have in your son, Jesus. Amen. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, we're going to start in verse 24. This is towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus speaking. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man was the fall of it today we're going to talk about foundations foundations are important if the foundation is not laid right it affects the whole structure so builders spend a lot of time on the foundation why because everything rests on the foundation literally Uh, but what we're going to talk about today figuratively as well And different structures require different foundations. If you're building a single-story house, uh, the foundation will be quite different than a 100-story skyscraper. So different geographic locations require different foundations. Different sizes of buildings require different foundations. If you're building just off the seashore, you'll need a different foundation than if you're building on bedrock in the middle of the U.S., so all of these things have to be taken into account when you set the foundation. Uh, my first point, and I really only have two today, is you have to set the right foundation. Rock or sand is the contrast that Jesus makes here. These are the options. Rock or sand. Which one do you want? So different are these foundations that it is obvious which one we're supposed to choose. And the foundation of Christianity is Christ. Now think about the different world religions. You can r- remove Buddha from Buddhism and you still have Buddhism. You can remove Moses from Judaism and you still have Judaism. You can remove Muhammad from Islam, you still have Islam. Um, Hinduism doesn't even have a religious founder. There's no central religious figure for it. You could simply keep the teachings of all these religions, take out their founders, keep the teachings, and not much changes in regards to the religion. You still have their teachings. Buddhism doesn't need Buddha. Judaism doesn't need Moses. Islam doesn't need Muhammad. They don't depend on a historical figure for their religion. Remove the historical figure, the religion stays intact. intact. Uh, but not so with Christianity. Christ is the foundation Now notice the analogy Christ uses in his teaching. It's one of different foundations. You can take the the words of Christ and follow them. That's the firm foundation. That's the rock. Or you can take his words and, and not listen to them. That's the sand. When it comes to the church, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to salvation, the foundation is Christ. That and that alone, he and he alone, is the right foundation. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says in verse nine of chapter three, "For we are God's fellow workers; you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Christ is the foundation. He is the foundation for our." faith anything else is a false faith if you remove christ from christianity if you just keep his teachings you really no longer have christianity you have moralism you have good teachings you have ethics but you don't have the son of god who lays down his life for the people so without christ there's really no christianity there's no payment for sin there's no cross there's no empty tomb it is no longer christianity you still have death, you still have destruction, you still have sin, you still have vice, you still have hopelessness. So the person of Jesus is essential to Christianity. He's essential to the story. From the beginning to the end, Jesus is there. Think of John 1. In the beginning was the Word. John intentionally used that phrase, knowing that people would immediately think of Genesis 1. In the beginning was the word. Think of what he says to his disciples as he's preparing to go back to heaven. And behold, I am with you always. He's essential to the story. And then at the very end, the second to last verse of Revelation says, surely I am coming soon. From the beginning to the end, Christ is there. And not only that, he's really there after the end. Because we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, is what it says in Corinthians. So he's essential to the Christian faith. And guess what? If that's the case, he needs to be essential to us. He's not just a great teacher, though he is that. He's not just an example to follow, though he is that. He's not just a wise sage, though he is that. He is The, are you listening to me? He is the Savior. Not a Savior, but the Savior. And there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. It is Jesus. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. I'll let Jesus speak for himself. This is what he said in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This verse is quite straightforward. This verse is rather simple. I remember years ago when I was in college listening to um, a professor from a different university give a lecture, and she made some, some mention about Jesus in different ways and to God. <clears throat> and so I went up to her afterwards uh, with, my own religious professor standing there, and I simply quoted this verse to her and said, I'd like your opinion on what you think this means. And she kind of fumbled through her words. Because I, I emphasize strongly the little Greek that I knew at the time. I'm like, you know, those are definite articles there that Jesus is using. It doesn't say, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life. No, it's the way. The truth. The life. And as I unintentionally embarrassed my religious professor, this learned PhD from one of the best universities in the U.S. didn't even have an answer for such a verse as this. And over and over and over, the scriptures are rather clear how crucial, how foundational, how key Jesus is for each one of us. You can't get to heaven without him. You can't. So when we come to the foundation um, of the church, we see that it is founded on Christ. But here's the thing. The same is true for the family. The foundation is also Christ. Think about your own marriage. Beginning with marriage, you're making a covenant. A covenant before God with your wife or your husband. It's not just a contract, it's not just an agreement, it's a covenant. Now, think of the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy, uh, God instructs them to take the tablets, the Ten Commandments, and put them where? You guys need some coffee or something like that? Okay, it's in the back. (laughs) Take the tablets, put them in the ark. Those two tablets constituted the terms of the covenant between God and man. That was the stipulations set forth. Now, I'm not going to look at covenants between God and man today. It's very fascinating if you do it. But there's terms. And when it's between God and man, God always sets the terms. Man doesn't even get to negotiate. It's like God says, take it or leave it. Here it is. So, That's what he did, right? Moses comes down. Well, they kind of left it the first time, right? They come down and they're already doing their own thing. They hadn't even gotten the Ten Commandments yet. He has to go get a second set of Ten Commandments. So, depositing them in the Ark of the Covenant, it was the sign that they had agreed to the terms of the covenant. For us, we're standing up there. We take, what do we call them? We take vows. We're taking vows. That's why we don't want to take vows lightly. When you take your vows, you are constituting the terms of the covenant with your spouse. And you think back to it. That's why I think it's good when we go to weddings. It should be a reminder for each one of us, married or unmarried. It should be a reminder of what is occurring before God that these two people are covenanting with one another. And for us that are married, it should be a reminder to us of the very vows, usually almost word for word, that we ourselves spoke. It should be sobering. Look at Malachi chapter 2. It's right before Matthew. Let's see, let's start in verse 10 of chapter 2. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faceless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob, any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So they've been faithless in regards to their faithfulness to the Lord. Then he goes on, And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, Why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So there's discipline that the Lord is doling out because of their faithlessness, not just to Him, but to their spouse. And then He goes on in verse 15 Did He not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. So one of the goals is godly offspring. One of the purposes of marriage is procreation. But here, the Lord makes it even clear: not just children, but godly children. So we have to set the right foundation, that is Christ. But listen to me here. We also have to set the foundation right. Okay, We need the right foundation, Christ, but we have to set the foundation right. In other words, we have to get it right. We know he's the foundation, but we have to get him right. And a lot of people don't. So we can have the right foundation, but be completely off on how to use Christ as our foundation. We know it's Christ. We can even say, yes, he's the right foundation, but we can get it wrong and we can misapply how Christ is our foundation. So I want to speak about that briefly. Think about what he says back in Matthew. Anyone who hears these words of mine and does them. And does them. That's the one who builds on the rock. So it's not enough just to hear the words. We have to do the words. We have to put them into action. We have to use what Christ says properly. We have to hear his words and truly hear them and then act on them. To know Jesus is the foundation is the place to start, but it's not the place to end. We need to know he is the foundation and then we need to know how to set that foundation for our lives. We have to set that foundation right. Now recently, just last year, in San Francisco, they completed construction of what's called the Salesforce Tower. It's the second largest skyscraper west of the Mississippi. You'll see a pic behind me in a second. There's dump trucks lined up to pour the concrete into this massive area. You can see how long the, the extension is. It's like these green things look like a walking stick almost. Uh, these green things extending into the pit of this massive area, really about an acre. Uh, all around. That's the foundation for this skyscraper. 18 hours to pour the foundation. 49 million pounds of concrete. 1,300 mixing trucks. 5 million pounds of number 18 rebar. It's the largest size of rebar available. It's like about that thick. It took eight iron workers to lift just one segment of the rebar into place and that's all to keep the building upright to give it a firm foundation one of the engineers says skyscrapers are basically big sticks coming out of the ground so obviously one concern is the whole thing toppling over high wind or quaking earth can make the building bend and if the bending takes the upper mass too far off center what happens the building begins to lift that's called hinging It's very bad, by the way. Buildings that hinge tend to collapse. So what do they do to hold back the hinging? They attach the structure to something big, solid, and subterranean. Now in places like Manhattan, they can drill down and affix the building directly uh, to the island's shallow bedrock. San Francisco, though, has like 300 feet of mud and clay which is why, when they built the Salesforce Tower, they had to basically build a big, fake rock to be the foundation. All that concrete, all that rebar. Half, half or maybe even more of the time for construction of a building can be spent on the foundation alone. Now, when the Twin Towers collapsed, they immediately came up with a plan for a new building called the One World Trade Center. Uh, for years people stared at a massive hole in the ground. Uh, But construction was going on. But people weren't happy because it didn't look like anything was occurring. There's a big, massive hole in the ground. But the engineers were at work setting the foundation, not just days, not just weeks, not just months, years and years and years to make sure they set the right foundation. Listen, mothers and fathers were the builders when it comes to the family. The foundation is Christ, it must always be, but moms and dads, we build on that foundation. One author said it like this, parenthood functions properly when parents preserve God's word in their own hearts and hand it on to their children. Look at Proverbs chapter 14. Verse 1, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. What's that saying? We want to use wisdom as we build on that foundation. If we're not careful, we can end up tearing down the very thing we're trying to build. We're trying to build a foundation Of Christ, and then continue to build a structure that glorifies the Lord, that pleases Him. So, we want godly offspring, and the foundation needs to be secure. We want our kids to know here's the thing the beauty of the gospel, not the harshness of the gospel, not the ugliness of the gospel the beauty of the gospel. Our kids need to see grace and grace and grace and grace and grace. That's what they need to see. They need to see the beauty of what Christ did. They need to hear the bad news, yes, but they need to hear the good news. They need to know that they are fallen, but they need to know that there is redemption and that God will covenant with them. in a relationship. Now, our culture today, we can see where our culture is at and how it treats the most vulnerable. And this includes children. It includes the elderly. and includes the disabled. We can look at family laws and policies in place. We can see the power given or taken from the family that resides with the civil government that it either has too much or it has too little. It is legal to murder members of one's own family in the U.S. Think about that. Now, it has to be the mom who does the murdering. That somehow makes it right. But it's legal to do that. And the baby has to be in the womb, so the baby has to be unborn. Though that might change in the future if certain politicians get their way. But that's where the culture's is at when it comes to children. If they can be looked upon and discarded as easily as that, then the culture has it wrong. They have it drastically wrong. And it is a stain on our culture. Children are looked at as inconvenient, as secondary, as optional. All of this affects the culture, the ideology, and it affects attitudes. And guess what? If we're not careful, it affects our attitudes our ideologies. We have to guard against that. You know, the fertility rate in the United States is the lowest uh, it's, it's, it's been since at least the 30s. It's hovering around 1.77. Uh, that number equates to roughly um, how many children on average a woman living in 2018 will have. For comparison, the total fertility in 1960 was 3.65, more than double. And for a population to basically maintain its current growth or kind of just level off a little bit, you need to be about 2.1, right? You've got to kind of have to replace yourself, and your spouse replaces herself, and, and uh, maybe an extra one because of, of mortality problems. We've got to push against the tide when it comes to the culture's thinking on children. We're, sw- we're, s- we're, s- swimming. we're swimming upstream. That's what we are doing. But you know what it means if you're swimming upstream? It means you're still alive and kicking. okay? Because the dead fish float downstream. okay? It is not popular to believe and practice biblical Christianity. It is sad that I have to use an adjective, biblical, with the word Christianity, but that's what it is in our culture today. To practice biblical Christianity... It is not popular. We have to hear the words of Jesus. If we want to practice biblical Christianity, we have to hear the words of Jesus, and then we have to do those words. Some of them are easy. Some of them are not so easy. Some of them might be enjoyable. Some of them aren't so enjoyable. Guess what Jesus' earthly reward was? Hanging on a cross. But what was his heavenly reward? Seated, at the right hand of the Father. So you guys decide what you want and where you want to focus. You want to focus on earth? You can have your earthly reward. All right, might last you about 80 years or so if you're blessed. Or you can have the heavenly reward. That lasts for eternity. So if you take Christ and his teaching seriously, listen, you got to forget about what the earthly has to offer. Truly, compared to the heavenly, it's like gravel in the mouth. Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is where? In heaven. And it goes on and says, And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Listen. The Bible is God's Word. Look what it says in Romans chapter 3. Look at this little passage right here, starting in verse 1. Paul says, Through the Spirit, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What's he talking about there? Right? The Old Testament. The Scripture. What if some were unfaithful? He's talking about the Jews. Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? He answers his own question, verse 4. By no means. And he goes on. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. God will always be true. He will always be faithful. He will always hold to his word. Every promise is yes. If he has promised it, he will follow through. He is faithful, even when we are not. He goes on, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. So God is true. Each one of us in here has lied. Guess what that makes us? Liars. God doesn't lie. He is faithful. He is true. So listen to me. There's a lot of liars There's a lot of scoffers. There's a lot of mockers out there. They want nothing to do with God. Some might profess to. Some might appear to. But they don't. But listen to me. There will always be naysayers. There will always be mockers. And you have to get used to that. You have to get used to that. Because they're going to naysay you. They're going to mock you. They're going to scoff you. If you're going to be real with biblical Christianity. If you're going to walk with Christ you'll be mocked and scorned and looked down upon for your faith. You know what I have to say to that? Praise God. Praise God. Just like the disciples counted it worthy to suffer, we kind of need to adjust our thinking a little bit. And we need to count it worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, when that happens, it means your life is looking just a little bit like the Savior's. So listen to me. There's always going to be people that fall away. That's hard to get used to. I'm not sure I ever do. But it does happen. It's painful to see. But it shouldn't surprise us. For Jesus tells us, narrow is the gate, and hard is the path that leads to life. Listen, the Bible will stand the test of time because it is the very Word of God. Just about a month and a half ago, they made a discovery. They make... These archaeological discoveries, like some pretty cool ones, like 10 to 15 a year. But they found one that they were able to date to the 8th century BC. That's like 26, 2700 years. It was the clay seal impression found in Jerusalem, the city of David, in what they are pretty sure is an administrative building. What did they find? they found this little clay seal impression of like a signet ring. You know, the, the, the king or the officials under him would have like a ring and you know, he would press it into uh, like a clay seal, like wax or something. And that would be his sign that it was an official thing coming as an edict or command from the king. Well, what does this particular clay seal say? It just has one name on it. The name is Nathan Melek. Not a big figure at all in the Old Testament. He's just an official who gets a passing mention in Second Kings 23. Um, Josiah is doing reform throughout the land. He's the king at the time. They've discovered uh, the word of God after it's been hidden, literally, for years. So he's going throughout the land doing this reform. And it says in 2 Kings 23.11, it's talking about Josiah, and he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan-Melech the chamberlain, which was in the precincts. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. He just gets one little mention. But, but this clay seal is literally right back in the time. And, and these are... Uh, Archaeologists that, you know, um, probably more than, most of them aren't even believers. Okay, so they don't have any interest here in trying to uh, twist any things. But it's placed right in the time period of King Josiah. And wouldn't it make sense that the chamberlain would have his, a little ring for the king's official purposes, for things that he was enacted over in an administrative building? Now, why is this? What's the big deal, you say? Well, if the biblical writers took care to ensure that even the smallest details were accurate and were recorded properly... I mean, I mean, you know, uh, the writer of 2 Kings didn't even have to mention this guy, right? I mean, that's pretty, pretty precise detail. You're right next to where he's living at. He's the Chamberlain. But if they took... Uh, these smallest details and were accurate and were recorded properly, that gives us assurance that when it comes to the big details, that they're going to be carefully recorded too. They're going to take the time to get the small stuff right. They're they're not going to mess up the big stuff. Last year at a different dig site, back in November, they found like a similar ring, a signet ring, that dated back to the time of Christ. It had one name on it, Pilatus which translated is Pilate. And not much is known about Pilate except from what we have in the New Testament and what Josephus, one of the ancient writers, gives us. But it lends, again, credibility to the historicity of the Scriptures. God's preserved his words. When they were writing the Scripture, God was speaking through them, filling them with his Spirit To be precise, to be inspired, to give it to us as a revelation of God. Here's my question for us when it comes, moms, dads, when it comes to us, like, what are we producing? What are we building? Because here's what I want to say good moms can produce great men and women. Good moms. Notice I said good moms. I didn't say great moms. What's my point? You don't have to be great to produce something great. Think about it. Some of the great masterpieces of art, music, literature were produced by less than great men and women. They produced something great even though they weren't great. So regardless of your talent and ability, God can use you, a good mom, to produce great men and women of God. Here's what John MacArthur said. He said, To be a mother is by no means second class. Men may have the authority in the home, but the women have the influence. The mother, more than the father, is the one who molds and shapes those little lives from day one. And George Washington said something similar. He said, All I am, I owe to my mother. I attribute all my success in life to the moral, intellectual, and physical education I received from her. Our first president of the United States under the Constitution we now have. Let me speak for a second to the single ladies. And let me tell you something. You won't hear many places. It's okay to want to be a mom. It's okay to want to be a stay-at-home mom as your primary calling. It's not a letdown. It's not a failure. It is a high calling. It's not a cop-out. It's not the easy way out. It is anything but the easy way out. So don't let dollar signs decide your future and your family's upbringing. Don't let it happen. The mother's role. She's not just the engineer or the construction worker helping with the foundation. And she's more than the architect as well. I mean, she's the electrician, the plumber, the bricklayer, the carpenter, the tile layer, the HVAC person, and much, much more. She wears many... Many, many hats. What is the goal of mothering? It's a regenerate heart. That's what we shepherd our children to. The primary goal for your children is for them not to be well rounded, not to have conservative views, not to vote like you do, not to get a degree not to get a good job, not to make six figures. It is to know Christ, to know Him. So with all the crying, with all the whining, with all the complaining, with all the back talk, with all the attitudes, I'm just describing the moms right now. (laughs) Just kidding. Keep the primary goal in mind. The primary goal is a regenerate heart. Even if they're outside of the home, if you're an older mom, you still have influence. You still have influence. You still have influence. Use your influence to nurture them towards the kingdom still. Powerful are the prayers of a praying mom. So let me conclude. The foundation of our home is Christ and it must be Christ. If you want your home to last, it has to be built on Christ and nothing else. If you want your home to flourish, it has to be built on Christ and nothing less. He must be at the center. He must be the focal point. He must be the one whose presence permeates throughout. And the fragrance of Christ should be strong to all who enter your abode. Moms, point your kids to Christ, not to rules. Point your kids to Christ, not to legalism. Point your kids to Christ, not to religion. Point your kids to Christ and not to anything else. Anything else will simply be an idol that you are telling them is more important than Christ. So put him first in your own life. Put him first in your household. Put him first in your education of them. Put him first in your entertainment. Put him first in your relaxation. Christ must be your all in all. Let them see that Christ has the preeminence in your house so that he can have the preeminence in their lives. Let's pray. Father, Our mothers have been tasked with a great task. We thank you that you give them a nurturing spirit. A spirit that is absent largely in fathers. I pray you would use that nurturing spirit, God, to your glory. That you would aliven it in our moms. Continue to give them a love for their children. A godlike love, an agape love. I thank you for the moms here. Thank you, Lord, that they do all the small things that only you know about and it pleases you. I pray they would continue to remain faithful to you, continue to remain faithful to their husbands, continue to remain faithful to the task set before them and that they would continue to mother well. Lord, continue to fill them with your Spirit, to know you, to seek you, to love you more. Father, be lifted up in their lives. Let them clearly see you. Let them clearly see you. Give them times of refreshing, Lord, even if it's a few minutes here or there in your word. Continue to have them persevere in a task that is often thankless. And bless them, God. We pray this for your glory. Amen.